This is episode 55 of Off Script with Trish Close. Intimate interviews and fun conversations with interesting people. In front of my microphone today is Davey Carmichael, head coach, soccer coach at Southern Oregon University. Yep. Hi. Thank you for having me, Trish. Thank you for being here. I met you a few weeks ago at Dance and Winery. Yep. You were there with your whole family. The whole extended family, well, the American side of the family, yes. So, American side yeah. of the family. Good point, because if, if you're already listening to this podcast, you know that um, someone has an accent, and it's not me. It, just a little bit. It's starting to, to fade over time, but it's still quite evident, I'm It sure. is not fading, Davey. <laughs> that, that accent is not fading whatsoever. Um, but I did meet you at Dancing, um, and the weird thing, it's not weird for people who know me, but um, I was immediately attracted to your dog. It wasn't my dog. Not it was your my dog. yep, it was my sister in law's dog and yes, it's a beautiful little French terrier. French, oh, French bulldog. French, sorry, yeah. bulldog. French bulldog. Remind me of his name again. Brody. Brody. Oh, just Brody was adorable. <laughs> we were at Danson. There was a massive downpour. Yep. Enjoying wine. Torrential rain. Torrential yep. rain comes down and you guys run under the tent where kind of we were the umbrella, I should say. And we struck up a conversation as I usually do with people. Yeah, we were uh probably very fortunate to be there that day we had uh, a little phone call in advance and they said they didn't allow kids and the rain was coming down and we brought the whole family with all the kids and the dog and, uh, and they managed to make accommodations for us so that's nice that's nice um and then strangely enough i saw you the very next day you and the entire family in ashland yep we um we like to get about you know and, and see the restaurants and see the scene and, and feel the vibe and yeah um yeah the whole family was here so we we're all showing them around and, i love and it getting to know ashland a little bit ourselves as well and Gills, where we met you that day, was probably our favorite place in town. Nice. Um, and I think your father-in-law was there. He's from Southern California. Yep. So my wife's family are all from the Solvang, Santa Ynez Valley region, which is just kind of north of Santa Barbara. Right. And so my husband's from Southern California, so they struck up a conversation. So it was then I knew this podcast was meant to be. I was like, I have to have Davey on my podcast. Awesome. So Davey Carmichael, tell me where you're from originally. Originally born and raised and, and grew up um, in Glasgow, Scotland, the south side of Glasgow. Okay. Um, help me out. What What was it like? Um. At the time, it was it was normal. Um, looking back, I probably didn't um, appreciate living in Scotland as much as I do now when I go back to visit. But um, I grew up in actually I grew up in a bed and breakfast, um, so it was a little bit different from the traditional um, mm -hmm. way you're raised. So uh, we always had Americans and tourists and foreigners in and out of the house, um, and it was just a great experience to grow up in, in that environment. Glasgow, um, you probably get about one nice week in the year and the, the rest is drizzle. So at some point every day, the, the sun may come out, but the rain is always evident. So One nice weekend? One nice week. So it's not Week like, a year? Yep, and that's when everyone gets their tops off and the sunshine comes out <laughs> and the paddling pools come out. and Sun's out, guns out, right? Sun's out, guns out, yep. Awesome. Uh, big, big town, big city? It is a big city, yeah. It's probably the, it's the biggest, most industrial city in, in Scotland. Okay. It's not the capital, but it's got the best people. Okay, the best people. And you said you grew up south of that? Uh, I grew up in the south side suburbs of... Okay, yeah. Subar suburbs. Yeah, suburbs. Um, okay. Um, we don't call them suburbs, but... No. Yeah, yeah. we grew up in the south side of, of Glasgow. Um, And this, did you grow up with siblings? I did, actually. My older brother, Um, he left for America before I did. Mm. Um, and he's part of the reason that I came over here. Um, he's now living in West Palm Beach, Florida. Nice. Um, so it was just me and my brother growing up together and Aww. being a year and a half apart. Lots of fights and lots of siblo, uh, sibling rivalry. It's seriously, it's the definition of love-hate, isn't of it? Of course it is, yeah. Yeah. So you grow up um, in, in Scotland and um, <laughs> I can't believe there's one nice week a year. 
I mean, you get a little bit more than that. But sure, I know what you're saying. But... Uh, the rain, the rain's always evident, like I said. So it's, yeah. uh, it makes things beautiful, though. It makes things green and, you know. Oh, for sure. A bed and breakfast. So what was interesting about that? You literally shared your house with strangers. We did. We had separation from the family, um, the family unit attached to it. Um, but yes, there was always... Um, there was always breakfast in the morning with the foreigners and getting to know people and playing little pranks on them. And it was, uh, it was a fun experience to grow up in that atmosphere. Pranks, how so? What kind? Yeah, every now and then there would be little things left uh, in certain places. Nice. That's funny. Why a bed and breakfast? Was it something your family had in their... Yeah. So I think my, I think my father was made redundant from his job um, and he was given a severance pay and they decided to take a little bit of a risk and um, mm-hmm. they invested the money in that and it, it really paid off and it was um, something that they didn't have to leave for work. So they were always around their children, always around their family and... Nice. Um, it wasn't just it wasn't just my mum and dad. My my grandparents really helped out too, and um, it brought us all closer together. It was always we had time, which was the most important thing. Uh, fantastic! How big was the bed and breakfast? Um, I believe we had seven rooms, seven guest rooms in the oh, house. Wow, so that's pre- pretty big. It was pretty big. It was a it's an old um, villa type building that was renovated, and it still had a lot of the the traditional and um, original features to it. Really cool. What kind of uh, tourists? You said Americans and then other people from around the world. Yeah, so we weren't we weren't far away from Glasgow Airport. Um, we were probably about ten minutes away from Glasgow Airport. So a lot of the marketing that was done was to to you know people that were coming to visit Scotland and mm-hmm. use Glasgow as a kind of a base while they were touring Scotland. So we had visitors from all over the place, from all over the world, and um, a couple of the, the the guests that really stand out in my mind were um, I remember with a, a, a family from Bosnia who during the the Civil War. Um, over there in Eastern Europe, we had um, a young man who was in the uh, the brain trauma unit at the Glasgow uh, Infirmary. Wow. And his family were staying with us. So there was a lot of emotional times too. You know, there was a lot of fun, um, but there was also a lot of people that were coming for different types of reasons. So it was really eye-opening. It was really, you know, it was an mm-hmm. interesting upbringing. Do you think seeing all of those tourists there um, kind of made you want to go visit these places? Was that... I think so, yeah. I mean, I think I've always had that little bit of a travel bug to, mm-hmm. you know, see outside of Glasgow, uh, outside of Scotland. And um, I'm not sure that's what brought me to America, but certainly it gave me a good foundation to, you know, mm-hmm. look to explore the world. Cool. What brings people to Scotland? Why do they, I mean, why do most tourists come to see what? I think from from my understanding of meeting most Americans that have some form of DNA heritage um, that has Scottish linear. They, they want to mm-hmm. go back and see their roots and where their families came from. And nice. um, Scotland has a lot of history um, and it's a really beautiful country with, like I said earlier on, beautiful people. So um, I think there's a, a many different reasons that people would come. Mm-hmm. I want to go because, I mean, speak English there, right? I mean, it doesn't sound like it. But I was going to say, <laughs> yes. not that that means anything because half the time it's it's so fast and sure. there's slang, right? There's different words for different things. There is. And even even within Scotland, um, Glasgow has a different dialect and slang terms than the city 30 minutes away, Edinburgh. So mm-hmm. um, every you can pretty much pinpoint where people are from when you meet them in the States really? with their accent. So, and I think that's the same for England as well. Yeah. They're such small countries, but um, very different in every city. When you go back, do... Did your family or friends be like, oh, your your accent's wearing off? Yes. Really? Yes. It's the instant. I mean, it's. I think it thickens a little bit um, immediately when you meet someone on the aeroplane on the way back to Scotland. But mm-hmm. um, more so, I think, just words that you say. 
um you know those mm-hmm. those terms that americans use that you have to use for for them to understand and mm, like um, what give me an example um, like have... sidewalk we would never say sidewalk okay in, what in would Glasgow. you say we would say pavement pavement um um you guys say trunk of the car we say the boot of the car so there's just just little terms like that that mm-hmm. you know become very evident that you've been been away from home sure the butt of the car the boot the like a boot like you would wear yes okay yes so just i mean just the small things i love it no it's it's awesome do you saw family there i do my mom and dad are still there um my grandparents oh my grandma's still there um all my extended family cousins relatives. so me and my brother are here in the states um and i have one cousin who's in the states as well all for soccer reasons oh crazy We're, we are going to talk a lot about soccer uh what'd you do growing up in Scotland, you and your brother, besides the bed and breakfast, obviously. Sure, I mean, not to sound boring, but soccer was our life and yeah. it was what was ingrained in us and it was what was on the, the media and it was what was on the news and the, the back page of the mm-hmm. newspaper. So um, it wasn't boring at the time, but it sounds boring when I talk about having mm-hmm. n- having the will to do nothing else but play soccer and play mm-hmm. play football growing up. Um, we did ski a little bit. We did some some travel skiing in France and Austria and uh, we did ski, but soccer was the kind yeah. of the core of our culture. And let's be real. It was football. It wasn't it, soccer. It was football. Football. Yeah. Exactly. Um, you played in when you were a lit, when little, you played in like high school, that kind of thing. Yeah. And we didn't play high school. I played club, um, okay. club soccer with a, a professional organization mm-hmm. and um, was lucky enough at 16 years old to sign a, a professional contract that was um, a kind of youth contract that was linked in with the government as well. Um, mm-hmm. So I was lucky to be with a professional organization from a, a relatively young age. Okay. Obviously, you and your brother good you were good at it i was good my brother was exceptional um mm-hmm. but his attitude towards the game um was a little bit different um what do you mean it, it wasn't um it wasn't the scottish style of play he was very technical um and wanted to play with a little bit less pressure um with the scottish game is very hard hitting very fast very transitional and um he was a little bit different in terms of his style of play okay um, but he was an exceptional player i think if he had been somewhere else um, he could have went to the the next level, but like you mean, was he more laid back, or was he? Yeah, more... very laid back in personality. Um, very laid back and and wanted time on the ball, and his touch was um, excellent on the ball, and it just it was just a different type of game in Scotland. It was pretty ugly. Mm. Is this what you wanted? Both of you wanted to be when you grew up, soccer pl- or football players? Yeah, I think I think ninety five percent of young Scottish boys that's the the dream and that's the the desire Man. to be a professional footballer. Yeah. And families, I mean, was your family fully supportive of you playing football? Yeah, they were. I mean, yeah, my mom didn't really come to many games, but she she was certainly supportive and, and gave us all the opportunity to, to play. Okay. Um, we're going to move on a little bit, but um, do they still have the bed and breakfast or is that... No, no. they don't. They, they sold that one um, a couple of years before we moved out here to the States. So, okay. Um, I think the memories that are attached to it will always be there. And, I bet. Um, yeah, times have moved on a little bit now. So, How many times, um, how often do you go back and see them? As much as often. I mean, we, with now, with having a family, it's really mm-hmm. tough to go back often. Um, I actually just got back. My best friend, or one of my best friends, was uh, getting married. So I was the best man in his wedding. And um, unfortunately, we just had a newborn baby, so the family couldn't come. Right. Um, but I went over there, and it was fun. You went. Well, I was going to ask, how much fun was it? It was incredible. It was. Uh, <laughs> I was only there for, for the week. Um, but just to, to be with the boys again and be with my family again. Yeah. And, uh, my family are pretty close with the, the Grimm's family, so everyone was there. Okay. Um, when did you leave? Um, before, you you have two two kiddos, right? I actually have three kids. Three kids. Um, so I have two with my, my current wife, Christina. Mm-hmm. Um, we have uh, Maxwell Jackson. Yes, I met him. 
he is energy right now. So he's he's three and a half years old and, and loves the game, loves soccer. He is the cutest, cutest thing. Oh, For so cute. A, a large percentage of the day. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he is. He's adorable. Um, <laughs> and then we have a newborn three months. It's Copeland Rhodes. Mm. Um, and actually, Copeland Rhodes' name is named after one of the one of the stands in the stadium of Glasgow Rangers Football Club. Mm-hmm. Um, so we named him after after the stadium, I guess you could say, which yeah. sounds a bit ridiculous, but no, it doesn't. I was just gonna say roots roots run deep. I think with most families, um, obviously you're very very proud of your heritage, and so you don't want anyone forgetting that. Sure, I, I'll never that will never come away from me. Scotland's always going to be in my heart. Always, always, yeah. always. Um, and then my my third child, Charlie Buttercup. She um she's in Cleveland, Ohio, right now with her mum. Um, and she's 12 years old, so she's Charlie not Charlie Buttercup. Charlie Margaret Buttercup Carmichael. So she's never actually been in Oregon. She was in in California last year. She comes down for the summer, and mm-hmm. um, I saw her at Christmas time in Florida. So um, I get to spend as much quality time as possible, being so far away from her. But she's an amazing young girl. Aw, where did Buttercup come from? Uh, the Princess Bride. So our mum was a yes. <laughs> inconceivable huh that's amazing i don't know why i didn't put that together that's adorable do you guys call her charlie um now that she's 12 she doesn't like going by buttercup i think she gets a little bit embarrassed at school so um so we just call her char yeah charlie well i guarantee you when she hits a certain age it's going to be really cool that there's buttercup in her name i think so that's amazing that's so awesome i love it so when did you decide decide to come to the states i decided to come slightly Early in the, the year of 2003, um, okay. I had been released from my professional contract that I, I discussed earlier on. Um, at that point, um, talking about the style of, of soccer, of football um, back home, um, I wanted something a little bit different. So um, somebody brought up the, the idea of potentially doing a soccer scholarship. It was something that was unknown territory to me and um, did a little bit of research, went on a few tryouts. Um, and then was managed to be recruited to Cleveland State University over okay. on the East Coast. So um, at that point, I, I just took that risk of, of moving away from home at such a young age. And um, it really paid off over, you know, over the last two decades. Well, yeah. How old were you? I was just turned 19. Wow. So I was still relatively young. Yeah. Did you have a goal of coming to the States or was this... Did you, you just really wanted to play soccer. Yeah, so my older brother, he was coaching. He was doing um, extended summer camps and nine-month contracts with a company called UK Elite. Um, so I came to visit him a couple of times and realized that lifestyle was something that really suited me. Um, and it was at that point with the advice of someone else to, to start pursuing the, um, the collegiate scholarship option. Okay, so you go to school and you're playing soccer. Yeah, and you don't have that opportunity in Scotland. You can either mm-hmm. go to university um or you can pursue the professional uh, football route Hmm. um so there's never really the combination of both and and it really made sense to me to um to continue to play at a high level and and hopefully something would happen um after college and but if it didn't then i would always have that platform to fall back on yeah do you know why they don't allow you to do both yeah i'm not sure why i don't know the reasons it's just kind of the way it's always been culturally set up and um, i think in this country with american football and basketball and the funding behind Mm -hmm. um collegiate sports it makes sense to, to have soccer and and other sports involved whereas in in the uk it's just really rugby and, and football right so you moved to cleveland i moved to cleveland ohio um had a really good experience there um i did i did pretty much what i tell my student athletes not to do um <laughs> i transferred after a year um and then played one year in michigan at northwood university for an incredible coach an incredible person um and then moved back to cleveland um, to finish my degree at Notre Dame College of Ohio. 
Um, so I played at three different schools in four years. Wow. And that's what you tell your athletes not to do? Yeah, I try to tell them to, to pick somewhere that, you know, make sure all the boxes are checked before they actually yeah. decide on somewhere. And hopefully it can be somewhere they'll, they'll be for four years. Okay. So let's back up. First, talk about, was there any sort of culture shock? Absolutely. Like what? Um, living downtown in a big city with mm. skyscrapers. And um, Cleveland State University wasn't a traditional closed campus. Um, there was no real campus environment or feel. Um, it was downtown and the buildings were spread out. So it was it was unique in that way. And it was a little bit scary and daunting at first. But mm-hmm. um, I really enjoyed my time there. Right. A lot of campuses, I think, especially when we think of a college campus, they're a little more closed in. They're kind of cozier. So you're talking about downtown city spread out. Yep. Okay. Fire engines, ambulances. <sighs> and, you know, it was it was very interesting. But it was... Yeah. I think it I think it helped me develop as a, a young man. Okay. And then why the move to Michigan? Um, probably don't want to talk too much about that, but it was um let's just say philosophies didn't match in terms of a player and coach. Gotcha. So you were looking for a different coach? I was looking for a different type of style of play, yes. Mm-hmm. And then there for a year. I was there for a year and the reason I moved back to Cleveland, I was originally recruited by Notre Dame College of Ohio, um, which was in the Cleveland area. Um, and, and really, I just miss Cleveland and the people and the connections I had really? made. So it was time to come back. Well, I wasn't say home, but it was time to come back to Cleveland. Okay. Um, and then where did you meet uh, Charlie's mom? Uh, she was a swimmer at Notre Dame College. Okay. So, so that's I, where you guys met. That's where I graduated from and that's where we met. Okay. So you graduate from there. What's next after you graduate? After I graduated, actually, we'd never... Um, obviously, I was a, an F1 student on a visa. Um, and uh, Charlie's mom and myself decided that... Um, lives were going to go on different paths and I actually moved back to Scotland because I couldn't stay in the US mm. um, but I was flying back as much as I could I got a full-time job back there with a company that um, did sports recruiting and networking agency stuff um, so I was a sports scholarship consultant and my job back home in Glasgow uh, was pretty much to tour the UK um, and a little bit of Europe looking for talented soccer players that were interested in coming across to the States uh, and then we would promote them and market them to, to college coaches. So I was still actively involved in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a sports management undergrad. Um, so I felt like I was using my skills for my undergraduate degree plus my, my background in soccer as well. Sure. So um, I did that for a little bit while at the same time looking for opportunities back in the States to come back so I could be close to Charlie. Right. Um, and that took me about a year and a half. Because uh, she was born at this time. Yeah, she was born right before my graduation. Oh, man. So she was she was born in uh, in March 20th, 2007, and I That's graduated tough. in May. So it was really tough. It was a tough time. Um, Charlie's been over in Scotland quite a number of times as well. So she's got a really close connection with her grandparents. And <gasps> I love that. It's, it's incredible. And they speak, my grand, my, my dad and mum speak to her on the, the WhatsApp and they, they FaceTime her every <laughs> now and then. So she's she still feels very Scottish. Still, still connected. She is. That's, that's part of it for sure. So at this point, you're still tied in with soccer and sports. Do you want to play or do you want to coach? It's a very good question. I think that I would have ideally loved to have been a player. Um, in this country, the opportunities are, are very few and far between in right. terms of making the big money that European players make. However, I uh, tore my ACL my junior year. Um, mm. And then I tore it, retore it, and got surgery again my senior year. So, um, with with two ACL operations, it was never going to be um, something that I could pursue. I don't think. Yeah, I so was never the same player after that. For sure. At that point, do you kind of have to make that tough decision? Like, well, I love the game so much, I need to find something to keep me connected to it. 
Yes, it was always, I was never going to leave the game if I didn't have to. Mm. Um, I just couldn't imagine myself being in a, an office job nine to five. And Mm-mm. although I felt like that a little bit in Scotland as a, the consultant, I was out and I was on the soccer field uh, once or twice a week. So um, okay. I don't think I could be confined to, a, to an office job okay. permanently. So you have this job in Glasgow. You're still traveling back and forth to the States. Um, I guess what happens next? I was given the opportunity to coach at Lake Erie College, which at the time was a transitioning D3 school um, into the D2 model. Um, I was a graduate assistant coach there, so they gave me the opportunity to come back and pursue a graduate degree, which was paid for. Oh, um, and, and coach. And coach. So I was um, the assistant coach on that team, Lake Erie College Storm, um, and I was also doing my master's degree in education. Wow. What was that like, coaching? Assistant coaching. Um, it was. I was so young at the time that you know I still wanted to be a player. So um, I don't think I was a coach then that I am now. Um, that mm. was my first kind of learning experience, and that first year was tough. Um, but I started to learn on my feet a little bit about yeah. how how things maybe should be done. Um, and it was it was a good experience. Yeah, I'm somewhat of a control freak. <laughs> um, when my new reporters would come in and I'm training them to be good journalists, sure. Um, I tended in the very beginning just to take over. Sure. Let me show you how to do it. Just here, let, give me the camera. Here, let me write it for you. And I think it's hard when you love what you do. You love playing football so much. You just want to kind of get out there and, guys, let me show you how it's done. Was that the same for you? Yeah, I think a little bit. I think mm-hmm. that was, it was certainly the case. The head coach at the time was also the head coach of the women's program. Okay. Um, so he gave me a lot of freedom to be in charge of sessions, which um, was really where I enjoyed being, was on the field and... And he really dealt with the administration piece for both programs. So actually, my wife was the graduate assistant on the, the women's program. That's where we first met. Really? So. All these, uh, this this gorgeous woman who I actually met. So she played soccer too? She did. She The head coach at the time at Lake Erie College was a head coach before then previously at uh, Mesa State in Colorado. Okay. And uh, my wife played for him as a, a student athlete. So he brought her across to the, the East Coast. Okay. Is away it? from California. Right. <laughs> into the snow. So when did you, when did you first meet her? Uh, 2009. Okay. What was that like? Were you guys on the soccer field? Like... Yeah, we were working in the office together and really we didn't start dating um, Mm -hmm. until a couple of months. We were just playing soccer every day and hanging out and Mm -hmm. um, actually looking for relationships for her and bars and (laughs) and vice versa. And um, we just realized that, you know, we were meant to be together and took that next step, I guess you could say. She seems like a pretty cool chick. Ah, She's all right. (laughs) (laughs) She's pretty awesome. She's a great mom. She's she's definitely the perfect fit. Okay, so you're there, you're getting your, um, sorry, you're, you're learning, you're essentially learning how to be a head coach. Yes, I mean, okay. that was, yeah, it was, I was brand new. I never mm-hmm. really, um, my brother was always a coach. He was always an exceptional coach and um, I was more inclined to be on the field as a player. Okay. Um, so I'd never really thought about it too much. Um, so it was going to take a little bit of a learning curve to, to really understand the game. And you, you kind of see things differently when you're a coach. How so? When you're a player. Um, you see more of the intricate movements and, and gaps that can be exposed. When you're a player, you're just kind of more focused on yourself mm-hmm. um, and how you can improve your own game to fit within the team philosophy. Whereas as a coach, you're looking at everyone on the field uh, and how they can fit the system and, and find success. Right. You're essentially looking at the team and how the team can work best as a team. Absolutely. And that's not always just playing the best players. That's sometimes playing the people that fit in the certain positions within the, the system that you're, mm-hmm. you're trying to implement. So um, that was that was eye opening for me that it's not just putting the best players on the field. Yeah. Um, do you you graduated, obviously. 
I did, yeah. Okay. With the help of my wife, who was doing the same degree and helped me out a lot with some of my papers. And, Aww, yeah. nice wifey. Um, do you start applying for jobs? How does that work? So what happened, um, so my, my graduate assistant was a two-year program, so I was going to be an assistant for two years. Okay. Um, after my first year, the head coach moved on um, for, for whatever reason. He'd moved on um, and the job opened up. Um, so I've had to go through the application process to become the head coach of Lake Erie College. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they actually offered it someone before me that turned it down. Um, so I was the second person in line and they gave me the opportunity to take the head coaching role. And that first year um, through that transition from D3 to D2, my first year as an assistant coach, the program was one sixteen and one. So win one game, lost 16 and tied one. Uh, my first year as a head coach, we turned that around. And uh, when I eventually left, we won 11 games Um when I left the program to move on to the next opportunity. So look at you it coach. Was a, it was a nice, it was a nice experience to, to kind of build a program from uh, the foundation up. And right. it's been, it's still, it's a very successful program now when I look back and there's a very good head coach in place. And um, I'm very proud of what we did there. Do you have a philosophy when it comes to coaching? Yeah, I do. I mean, um, I like the game to be played simply. Um, I like to be played attractively at the right times. Um, I'm very possession based in my mind and, um, I don't believe in just, you know, transitional soccer for the for the sake of winning games. Uh, I think it has to be more than that. I think there has to be a developmental piece to it as well. Right. Well, I I mean, I've, I played very little sports growing up, but there is something to be said about mentors, coaches, someone that you can learn from, that you can, um, you know, have this role model in your life. So it's not all about winning. It's about developing these young men and women to be sure. good people. Absolutely. So what, what did you find? What were the challenges when you took over that head coaching job? What were some of the challenges that you were facing? The biggest challenges back then were um, really the administrative stuff, like the on-field stuff. I, I felt like I was getting a real hang of and understanding what we needed to do from a, a technical and tactical perspective. Um, it was more the admin piece that um, I'd never operated a budget of that size before. And it was mm-hmm. figuring out how to you know get through the season and, and travel and hotels and um, uniforms and making sure things were done professionally, but within the, the means of the budget. Right. Did you face any issues with the players moving from that assistant head coach to head coach role? Any opposition, I guess? No, there wasn't. Um, I brought in 16 players my first year as a head coach, so it was almost a new program. We graduated quite a lot. Gotcha. Um, and the guys who were left behind, um, I think, had a respect for me already. Uh, and like I said, I was already kind of not the head coach, but on the field, I was doing a lot of the sessions. So um, I kind of demanded that respect mm-hmm. as an assistant, I think. So there was no real teething problems, I don't think. That's good. So you kind of made, I mean, not kind of, you made a name for yourself with this, within this program. Yeah. And it was, it was local in Cleveland and it mm-hmm. was, you know, it was where my network of soccer colleagues were and an ex-teammate. So um, yeah, I, I feel like I established myself awesome. um, within that community. So do you guys decide you want to stay there or you're looking to go somewhere else? I was actually, I was really um, happy with Lake Erie College and an opportunity opened up at the University of Buffalo, which was the division higher, division one. Um, the head coach at the time was a former teammate from back home in Scotland who gave me the mm-hmm. opportunity to come in and, and be his first assistant. Um, I'd never coached at the division one. I played at the division one level, but had never had the opportunity to coach at that level. So I went there as an assistant coach and, and Stu really taught me a lot about how things operate and really the ins and outs of organizing a, a division one program. So I'm very grateful for that. Um, so I was there for, for two years as an assistant competing against some of the best teams in the country. Wow. Um, so we had, a, we had a very good two seasons. Um, and then Stu decided, Stu was the, the head coach, Stu Riddle. 
Um, he decided it was time for him to move on and he took a really good opportunity in, in Northern Kentucky University. Um, and at that point, like it happened at Lake Erie, the, the job was open and I had to make my application process again. Okay, and? And then I was successful. I ended up being um, named head coach in the January. Awesome. Um, of a Division One program, which is kind of a dream for most coaches is to coach at that level um, if it's not within the professional ranks. Um, and then unfortunately, I don't know if I've had this conversation with you, um, in the May uh, the University of Buffalo decided to discontinue men's soccer <gasps> and our season kicks off in the fall so um, we'd recruited internationally we had our, our team organized and ready to go and uh, the university decided to cut men's soccer it cut baseball um, women's uh, rowing crew and men's swimming and diving that was just done kind of at the at what felt like at the drop of a hat so uh, my job at that point was to to look for a new place to go, but I guess um, I'd also given all these young boys an opportunity to come and play and oh, offered scholarship and that's devastating. It was devastating, and and for many reasons as well. We had an assistant coach who had just joined us from the University of Dayton, who was incredible, and um, he pretty much came to Buffalo. The program got cut, and and now he was left without a job. So we made it our job as a coaching staff to to take care of the student athletes and make sure that we did not leave Buffalo until those guys had a new opportunity. So. We were on the phone with coaches. We made sure that we, okay. we promoted them. And, and, and thankfully, every player that was on that roster, whether they were incoming or, or returning, mm -hmm. um, found a new opportunity to okay. go. At a different school or Different program. school. And, and, and some of them, to be honest, had better opportunities after that. So maybe it was okay. some silver lining um, mm -hmm. within that. I have a really cheesy line. I always say every detour is a blessing. So I have know. to agree with that. Yeah. Uh, why cut so quickly? Funding? No, I'm not sure. It's never okay. really been addressed fully. Um, I know there was a, a building project getting in place for a field house, mm -hmm. and um, I'm not sure if it was Title IX gender equity issues, but um, whatever the reason, um, when I look back, administration at Buffalo um, from the athletic department were excellent with me, and, and they always have been. Um, even until today, you know, there's still a resource for me and mm -hmm. a reference for me. So um, I'm not sure who the decision was made from, if it was made from administration or it was made from someone in the presidential office but the decision was made and we had to kind of live with it and yeah um that's was, heartbreaking it was heartbreaking at the time but looking back um the experiences and opportunity i've had since then um it's probably been the best thing for me okay because at this point you don't have a job i didn't have a job um i was still under contract though so they were going to honor that which was incredible of them okay um not just myself but the assistant coaches as well so um my wife is from california like i said and and we would visit there often and right um, we said you know what let's uh let's take a chance so we pretty much sold everything we had we sold tvs or couches or we sold everything okay. um we packed up the the gmc sierra truck <laughs> um with our tents and we pretty much traveled across the country and it took us about three and a half weeks to go from buffalo to california we stopped at every national park we could and we camped with a one-year-old one and a half year old oh man um, so we were at the grand canyon zion shenandoah national park we did the the smoky mountains we were all over the place and just took that time really to be a family and, yeah. and get closer and enjoy this beautiful country so we ended up in california um and i actually volunteered because i was still under contract with buffalo um i volunteered my time at cal poly which was another division one institution um, nice. in san luis obispo that's my, a pretty place to be. It was uh, a, a beautiful <laughs> place. So we lived in Solving, actually, wine country, which is mm -hmm. uh, going back to the first conversation about how we met. Right. Um, so we lived in wine country, and I drove about an hour to Cal Poly every day, and um, it was that was the best experience of my coaching career. Really? Um, how so? I was working under a, a coach called Steve Sampson, who was the former U.S. national team coach in the 98 World Cup. Um, 
an incredible man, an incredible coach. Wow. Um, somebody that I learned a lot from uh, in terms of how he manages people and his personality and how he demands respect. Um, but also at the same time, when I met with Steve, you walk in his office and he's got uh, the US national team jersey from the World Cup up in, this, on, in his walls and he has photographs of shaking hands with Nelson Mandela and mm. Bill Clinton. And A little intimidating. It is, but at the same time, he had no ego. He didn't have anything to prove. And, you know, awesome. sometimes people that have achieved some great things will, will have a, an arrogance or a cockiness to them. And, and Steve doesn't have that. Um, I was in, impressed that he spoke fluent Spanish and a lot of the Hispanic players on the team really uh, felt engaged to him as well. So that was the best experience I've had in terms of learning and development. Yeah. It, was, it was an incredible year. He sounds amazing. He's, he's an incredible guy. And he, um, he was also the Costa Rica national team coach. So He's done a lot in his career, um, mm -hmm. but again, really helped me to, he held me accountable. He made sure that I worked hard. Um, even though I was a volunteer, he made sure that, um, you know, everything was done professionally and right. um, held us to very high standards, but certainly really looked after me as well. And it's still a resource for me. If I pick up the phone, he'll be willing to give me advice. And oh, I love that. I love people like that. It sounds like this was a little bit of an internship then for you. It really was. And I was, I'd already been a head coach before of a division two and I mm. guess a division one for a small period of time. Mm -hmm. and, and going there, it was probably the development that I would have loved to have had before Lake Erie. Um, and he was just, he was one of those people that, you know, I'll, I'll hold near and dear for the, the rest of my coaching career. Oh, I'm sure. I'm absolutely sure. So at this point, do you start looking for jobs? No, because I, I committed to two seasons with Steve at Cal Poly. Gotcha. Um, okay. And that was the duration of my contract with Buffalo. So I kind of committed to that with the understanding that if something popped up uh, locally, that he would support that. And, and, mm -hmm. and he really did. So uh, the opportunity opened up at Southern Oregon University. So I, I asked Steve if it was okay if I came for the, the interview. And mm -hmm. um, he was a little bit upset at first, mm -hmm. um, but understood it was probably the best thing for my family and, and, and really got behind and supported me. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, so that was, I wasn't actively looking for jobs because uh, I was having such a good experience at Cal okay. Poly. Um, and then when this job opened, uh, it made sense to look at it a little bit in, in greater detail. SOU recruited you? Not recruited. The, the head coach had left. Okay. Uh, and they opened up a national search. Okay. Um, so the job opening was posted and, and I found out about it. You found it. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So okay. um, I was one of three candidates for the job. Awesome. Uh, so I flew up here and had probably one of the most grueling interviews that I've ever had and for all the right reasons. Mm -hmm. um, and, and when I left and went back to my family in, in California, I told them about my experience and my wife was very supportive again, even though that I had moved her from Cleveland to New York, to New York, to Buffalo. And, and she was she was very behind the decision. Amazing. How what do you mean by grilling? Like it was just an intense day. It was we, I flew in, stayed in a hotel the night before. The morning we had a, an interview with the athletic director, Matt Sayer, all the head coaches. Uh, and then we had a field session with the team. We had a, a classroom session with the team. We had lunch and dinner with the head coaches. So it was pretty much a, a 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Mm -hmm. type event um, where there was no real downtime in between. And I think Matt Sayer, the athletic director, really hires good people. And I think putting you through that full day um, is essential to see, you know, mm -hmm. not just that you're, you're putting on a face for yeah. a, a one-hour interview and it's more um, do the players respect you? Do the head coaches respect you? Is there... Uh, a mutual feeling throughout the day. So it was uh, it was an eye-opening, tough, uh, grueling day. Well, they probably want to see you too, a little under stress and tired. and. I think that uh, the stress test is a little bit part of it too, yes. Yeah. So when do you find out you get the job? I think a week later, um, I flew back and had the conversation with Steve again back at Cal Poly and with my family. And 
Um, Matt Sear called and at that point I was already pretty clear in my decision that I was going to come to Southern Oregon. Awesome. What year was this? This was just last two years ago. Yeah. Dang. So I've only been here for, for one season. Wow. That's really, that's really quick. How's it been? I've absolutely loved it here. Mm-hmm. Um, we, uh, I took over a very successful program who had won the, the Cascade Conference for the first time in, in program history. And when I say history, it's only a, a four-year-old program. So mm-hmm. I took over a very good squad um, with a lot of pressure as well um, to, to sustain that. Yeah. Um, and we had this past season, my first year as head coach here, we had the best season in program history. And, and, and that's credit to not just myself and my coaching staff, but the coaching staff before me who had left this program in, in a good condition. Awesome. Do you recruit players yourself or? I haven't. On the roster that I inherited, I didn't recruit any of them. Um, I've just finished my first cycle in my first okay. recruiting class. So we're bringing in 10 young men um, for, the, for the new season. They'll all be incoming freshmen. Okay. And you will help find those I did find them. So between myself and my my coaching staff that's in place now, we we all went out and we found these guys. What do you look for in a player? Every position requires something a little bit different. So um, more so than anything, we're looking for obviously talent and and pace and speed and strength, but we're looking for understanding of the game, Um, good character, Mm -hmm. um, good backgrounds, good work ethic. So it's it's not just about the talent. It has to be more of the the characteristics of the person as well. I was going to ask character. Is that, a, is that a factor for you? It is, and I think that's why this program has been so successful. There's such a strong culture of, of work ethic and looking after each other and unity that mm-hmm. um, it has to be part of that during the recruiting process. You know, you, you could put the, the 11 best players out there that don't have the right attitudes towards their teammates or, or towards mm-hmm. the game, and it could fall apart. So, um, yeah, absolutely. It's, the character is a big piece of that. Awesome. And what are you looking for for the future, for this team, this program? So we're going to be very young next year. We're going to graduate 16 players um, next year. So wow. we're going to be very young. Yeah. Um, the team that I inherited doesn't, didn't, when I when I first came in, didn't play the the formation or the style that I hope to eventually play. And we're getting there slowly. You know, the guys that I inherited are starting to understand what we're looking for and okay. started to implement that a lot last season. Um, so for the future of the program, I think we're going to, we're going to build more towards that philosophy of how we want to play, what our identity is going to be, who we are as a team, and uh, and try and stick to that as, as closely as possible. Some of the players I have coming in this year are incredible players. Uh, we have a Scottish U18 national team player coming in um, following my same journey that mm-hmm. uh, I took back in 2003. Um, we have a, a US U17 national team camp player coming in that's currently with the Portland Timbers Academy. Uh, we also have another in terms of academy kid coming in as well so they're going to be very the, the, the recruiting class is going to be very strong but it's going to take some time to adapt to the college game because awesome it's, it's fast yeah well i watch football occasionally and the one thing it always occurs to me there's no slowing down you guys are constantly running running sure all the time i get exhausted after five minutes i'm just like no uh-uh, i'm out yeah, it's, uh, it's quite grueling. I mean, we look at some of the, the top professional players, they're, they're covering about 13 kilometers in every game right. within a 90-minute period. So um, putting that together with, you know, understanding the, the times to slow the game down and speed things up and okay. press or drop off. And uh, there's a lot more goes into it, I think, from sometimes from the naked eye watching the game. It's just oh, like I'm that, sure. it's 22 guys just running around chasing a ball. But yeah. Davey, I don't know what I'm talking about when it comes to football. <laughs> That's just what I... But I do I do love watching it. It's sure. super fun to watch. Did you watch Liverpool-Barcelona yesterday? Did you? 
yesterday. Yeah. Um, no, I missed that yeah. game. Incredible. One of the most incredible games this year. Dang. Well, where were you telling me to watch that game? I actually missed it myself. I Did you the, really? I saw the highlights on... Well, I would love to come watch you guys in action. Please do. Trust you. Uh, we'd love to have you. That would be amazing. Please no, do. I will. I'll, I'll get a schedule to you and you can... I would love to. I would love to come catch a game and, and see you and your players in action. Well, you know, we are going to wrap things up a little bit. I did want to ask, um, what's your brother doing these days? My brother's actually he's a, a high school PE teacher. Uh-huh. And he's a triathlete right now. So he's actually, next weekend on the 18th, he's running the Miami 100. And the, wow. and the humidity of Miami. So pretty incredible athlete. What's his name? Matthew. Matthew. Good luck, Matthew. Good luck with that triathlon. And he's a PE coach? He's a PE teacher, yeah. At, uh, in, like in high school? Yeah. So he was living in PA, Philadelphia, for most of his coaching okay. career and decided to move away from the club soccer scene. And mm-hmm. um, his wife took a, a job down there in Florida. And nice. they're, they're happy down there. They're, they're loving it. I don't know him, but he just sounds like he would be an amazing PE teacher. I think so. Yeah? I think so. Yeah. You know, it's... There's something to be said about, again, about coaches and teachers. The really, really good ones impact your life forever. Absolutely. I mean, obviously, you remember some of your best coaches you've ever had. Yes, I do. Um, growing up, um, I'll just pinpoint one of them. It was a guy called Stevie Craig who um, really you know, made me love the game again after mm-hmm. um, some downtimes. You know, he, he really brought the best out of me. Um, yeah. Gary Craig, his brother, was our, our other coach on that team. And... Um, I've had so many different role models. My my father was was also my coach a little bit growing up, mm-hmm. um, and and just I love his thought process on the game. And um, even during last season, you know, I'd always pick the phone up with my father and and figure mm-hmm. out what he thought because he was always watching games live on TV. And mm. even if he couldn't be here in person, there was a live stream that he would always give me feedback on his thoughts. So um, I've had so many different role models. My grandfathers, both of them, um, were big football guys. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, so many. Aw, that warms my heart. What does your dad think about this job? Yeah, he loves it. He's not been out here yet, so they're going to come for the first time. They're going to come in the fall, so they're going to, I think Yay. they're going to catch three games, my mom and dad. Aw, um, so, that'll yeah. be a really nice moment for your dad. I think so. I think yeah, so. I think so too. Uh, let's talk about your tattoos. You have yeah. a nice sleeve, kind of. How ma- many? Too many, maybe. Too many to count? <laughs> yeah. What, do you uh, Do you remember your first one? Obviously you do. Um. <clears> yeah, I had like some weird tribal thing when okay. i was like 15 years old back <laughs> in scotland <laughs> yeah. that sounds normal i think uh, that's just right of passage that's kind of covered up right now but yeah <laughs> uh, uh do you have a favorite um yeah i mean the ones that represent my children yes yeah. so this is a, a buttercup here it was kind of retro buttercup you guess buttercup. you could say and, uh, this little beard's from maxwell um he was born in Cal- oh, he, he wasn't born in california but we raised him the last year in california mm-hmm. so i have a californian bear and we don't have anything for Copeland yet. You need to work on that. Yeah, it's just about timing, right? Yeah. Sometimes I think you have to see their personality before you find what you want to represent of course. them. So when I first started coaching, actually, when I was young, I used to always coach with Under Armour and cover my tattoos up. Really? Um, just for professional reasons. Yeah. Um, but as I've you know been involved in the coaching world for longer, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. not as, I guess, ashamed about them I'm or comfortable showing them. Yeah. I mean, I think just... I don't know. Maybe it's age as we get older. We're just like, I don't care. Who yeah. cares anymore, right? right. Um, also, I wanted to say Ashland, Southern Oregon University. What a crappy place to work every day. Yeah, it's not not the prettiest place oh in the world, is it? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and right now, it's stunning. The When you look across the freeway at the Green Mountains and you can see all the purple wildflowers. Beautiful. It's like we're in Sound of Music or something. Yeah. So we actually just uh, we practiced this morning at 6 a.m. and... Um, mm. During that time, the sun's rising and the, the clouds are turning pink and you've got the Cascade Mountains and Grizzly Peak in the background. So it's an incredibly beautiful place to work. And yeah. I, I feel very privileged every day that 
right um, we actually we do team building every thursday so tomorrow morning we're going to go out to immigrant lake and and go a hike and every thursday we try to do a team building hike together oh i so love that we're all getting to see the the cascade range a little bit more and that's amazing it's been it's been great well it sounds like you have a really awesome team um and those boys are working hard they certainly are yeah this is uh this is our last week of training right now okay i'm going to give them some time off to to refocus the mind and uh -huh. get prepared for the final exams and then we'll come back and do some strength work after that so okay and then season starts we don't start till august first okay so. all right so i encourage any listeners go out and watch these boys play absolutely support local programs like this thank you Josh. We and good luck that. to the team thank you i'm super excited for you and i'm so glad i met you at a winery Likewise. <laughs> all right we are going to move on to my final three. Oh no oh no uh best do you need notes no no i'm fine I'm okay fine. some people have them on their phone um yeah. best advice you've ever been given um I guess we've been talking so much about football. I think one, and I, I spoke about Stevie Craig, the, the coach yes. that I, he used to always say, um, and this is something that we are holding dear at, at Southern Oregon University as well, and we're going to have it emblazoned on the, the locker room, is, mm. is enter the pitch with no doubt and leave the pitch with no regret. So I know it sounds quite cheesy, but um, for me, I try to live in every opportunity and every moment um, with those principles and um, no doubt, meaning be prepared and be organized if it's something that you really want to go after. And if it doesn't work out, don't have regrets and, and understand that you've put everything into that, that okay. moment. So uh, Stevie used to say that and, and it was always about the game, the 90 minutes ahead. But um, I've really tried to, to use that in, in my goal setting and my objectives in life. Enter the pitch? The field. The, the field, field of play, sorry, yeah. No, 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 it's okay. I the just want to make sure I understand. The football pitch. Okay, so say it again for me. Enter the pitch with no doubt. Uh-huh. Leave the pitch with no regret. Mm, that's so, good. That's a good line of life, really. I think so, yeah. You know, things don't always work out the way you hope, but if you put everything into it, then you, you can't look back with any mm -hmm. resentment or anger. And um, yeah, and, and be confident going into it. And, yeah. And know that you're going in with all the right resources and tools. You could apply that to your path. I mean, you've sort of been all over the place. And I think so. You've kind of, it sounds like you've held that philosophy everywhere you've been. Yeah, I've tried to. Nice. And who gave that to you? It was Stevie Craig. Stevie. Stevie. Mm. And that was in Scotland, right? That was back in Scotland growing yeah. up. And, and Stevie, Stevie's son was actually a really good friend of mine. And Stevie was one of those coaches that you, I don't, I, don't, I don't want to say you either love or hate, but um, mm -hmm. if you do hate him for any reason, if he's not played you in the minutes you want, you always love him at the end of it. Mm. That's nice. That's nice. Okay. If you ever left this place, Southern Oregon, and I know you're a new resident here, um, what would you miss the most? What would bring you back here? I think when I took this job, I said to the athletic director and the coaching staffs and, and everyone that was in that interview that the reason I wanted to take this job was because my path has been so up and down and, and whether that was through choice or um, what had happened at Buffalo, um, I said I want to be here for an extended period of time. So mm -hmm. I really don't want to leave. Um, I've had a great experience here and I think if I ever did leave, it would maybe be to come back at, at retirement age and mm. really appreciate the beauty of, of this region of the country. Fantastic. We get more sun. You do. But it reminds me a lot of Scotland in terms Does of it? landscape and mm. the greenery at this time of the year. So um, it's Scotland with a little bit more beautiful weather. Okay. I like it. And if you were ever given a final meal and a final drink, what would that look like? That's a tough question. Why? Um, Why? Are said, you a foodie? Well, you said a drink. Is it? Oh, no. You can have a, It's your final day. Okay. You can get hammered. <laughs> uh, no. So when I think about it, um, my father used to make uh, a really good lentil soup. Um, mm. and mashed potatoes and um, uh, it's like a, a ground beef 
uh, okay. type thing with a, a gravy attached to it. It's called <sighs> mince and tatties, we call it. So it's mince and potatoes and uh, it has carrots and onions in it. And um, it sounds pretty basic and pretty bland. No, but it sounds uh, fantastic. Like very comforting. A comfort food. I mean, mm-hmm. a taste of Scotland, really. And um, a drink, I would probably have a, a tenant's lager, which is a, a, a Scottish uh, lager. Okay. Um, and a cup of tea. A cup of tea. Cup How of many tea. lagers would you have? A few? Not too many. Not too many. Not too many. You want to remember your final course, day. Exactly. <laughs> Why do I have a final day? Is this, uh, I'm on death you know, row? No, no, no. A lot of people, I don't know. I just, I, I know it's kind of morbid sounding, but yeah, maybe you're on death row. Maybe somebody in the universe has said, hey, tomorrow sure. it's it for you. So live it up. Right. Today and tomorrow. I don't know. I and I'm a, I'm a big foodie, so I like to hear what people like I to can eat. Tell. I think rather than, um, Rather than the food and the drink, I would just want to be with people. Yeah, I've heard that too. Doesn't matter what meeting, as long as I'm with the people that care and and matter. I've heard that too. Um, uh, Vinny, he owns a restaurant in downtown Medford, and he said there would be no food. It would be all of my family around the table, and we would just be. Brilliant. I know. It's it's lovely. So I just like to hear what people like to eat. Maybe I need to change the question. I'm not sure. Well, good luck to you. Thank you very much, Once again, I hope I get to see you and your beautiful family maybe at a winery again. sure we will. We can chit-chat a little bit more. Awesome. Davey Carmichael, you have been so fun. If you're listening to this podcast on iTunes and you like it, please subscribe, rate, and review. It helps other people find us. We're also on Google Play. You can also ask Alexa to open up Offscript. Check out the video portion of this podcast at ktvl.com. Just click on Features and then Offscript. One more time, Davey Carmichael, head soccer coach at Southern Oregon University. This has been super fun. Thank you. Thank you.